Hey everybody, this is Pastor Court Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. God, I'm asking in the next few moments you'd speak to this wonderful church. I pray that you'd make me, God, available to be used by you, God. I believe right now this is a divine moment. I believe that you want to you want to do a work, God, and we praise you for it. We thank you for what we feel. We thank you for this house we're worshiping in. We thank you, God, for everything you've done. We thank you for all you're about to do. God, I'm praying, give us the help, Lord, right now that we need. Give us the ability to respond to your word and the boldness, God, to declare it and apply it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm going to read some texts in a few moments, but I, I, I just want to quickly say, I know you hear it all the time, and I, and I also know that you're aware of it. I know you're aware of it. That you have the absolute best leadership on the planet. And I, when I'm around your pastor and his amazing wife and family, I'm always challenged, and I am always reminded of why I love them so much. And then I get to walk in and, and be around Pastor John and Sister Tiffany, and I think, you know what, it just, it's never ending. And then I get to be around all of you, and I think, you know what, it's just an amazing, amazing combination of, of, of what God's doing right here. It's about to, just, I, I, I'm excited about the road sign. I'm thinking about just like canceling my flight, sending my wife a little note saying, babe, come on over, we want to see what happens on Sunday in the next few weeks. But I'm, I'll, I'll be on Instagram, don't worry. Make sure you get in front of the camera and give me a wave every once in a while, all right? I'm excited about what God's doing. When I was when I was young, I I loved to play I loved to play sports. Truthfully, I, I still do. I know you're looking at me thinking that is a beacon of athletic ability right now. I know, I, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know it's it's startling, but I I, I love to play uh, I love to play sports, and I would be in the front yard playing for hours basketball basketball with my friends and and back then it was a little bit different than now because. Uh, in basketball back then, people believed in defense as well. But <clears throat> oh my. any shout out to the old school people in the house? Come on now, right? But I, I uh, there, there's something about sports that there's 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 two sides to it. There's a side that is the the offense, and offense obvious obviously I think the kids need to go to class, right? Come on now, I, I, listen, I pastored before and I've done this before. Our kids are dismissed tonight. You may be dismissed in Jesus' name. Why don't we give our kids a great big hand? <laughs> this ain't my first rodeo. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to cost you a little bit right there for announcement. But I, uh, I, I, when, when, you, when, you begin to, when you begin to make that plan, you've got to realize that you've got to have offense because you've got to score. But... But, but many people believe that, that defense wins championships. Because if you can stop, no matter how good you are, there's people that will sit on the bench in, in great basketball games. There are great players that have been drafted recently into the NBA. And, and the whole gamble on that athlete, on that, that star talent was, can we get them 
to learn how to play defense. Because if we put five players on the court, we can't have three that can play good offense or three that can play just, just good defense. We have to have people that know what it is. Now, every once in a while, you'll have somebody that's a defensive specialist. And they know their job is to get on the court. And when the shot goes up, you find yourself a man and you box them out. And you make sure you get position to get the basketball. And then you get it to an offensive person's uh, hands. And you go down and you play your role. But their goal is, is that when that great offensive player gets on the court, or when that, that, that great uh, uh, person uh, uh, gives you the ball and you got to set up, there are some that are specialists. But nonetheless, they've got to learn how to do the other side. They've got to learn how to do the same thing. They've got to learn how to make sure to fulfill the obligation of that role and that call of responsibility. Let me just tell you this evening uh, as, as we dive into this word that I believe, that, that I, I strongly believe is right for tonight, is that you, you must know what it is. To not just live on the defensive in your relationship with God. Let me just say that we are, we are good about saying, you know, I'm going to stay away because I'm going to stay away from certain things because this is not what I need. This is not what needs to be in my life. And, and I'm going to stay away from maybe that, that talk or that, that those ideas. I'm going to push my way, my way away from certain people. And as the students are in the building tonight, it's good for you also to know that that unfollow button is as powerful or more powerful than the follow button. Now, I'm not one that likes to, to, to delete contacts. If someone's in my life and I, truthfully, I'll be honest with you tonight, if there's somebody that I don't want to get a phone call from, I save them with their name and do not answer at the end of it. Because if you delete it, you don't know who's calling. I mean, this is like, this is good stuff tonight, people. All right. Sometimes it's good to not answer a call from somebody who's negative and like to push you down and that's what I like to call defense. I'm defending my spirit from that mentality. And so it's good to have the defensive mindset, but I, I've come to talk to you tonight about the offensive mindset and to help you understand that there's a moment in your life when you've got to go on the offensive. You've got to step out from the role of, of defending, and you've got to say, you know what, I'm tired of defending uh, um, my territory. I'm going to go take more territory, and I'm, I'm tired of it just being that I'm going to take care of what's mine. No, I want more in God, and I desire more in God, and, and I'm going to step out and go farther. I, uh, I believe that, that, that tonight we've got to gather this and, and believe this and conquer this in our spirits, but, but I, I, I read a story not long ago about a young man. He was, I believe, nine years old at the time of his accident, and this young man uh, uh, it, it was in this horrible accident, lost his left arm. And, and, and this was devastating to he and his family. He, he began to recover and began to realize that life would be different. He was no longer going to live a normal life, but he had to make a decision in that life. That do, I, do I just, do I, as a young man, do I just, just find myself down and out about this? And do I find myself discouraged? Or do I, do I pick up and move on and say, you know what? I'm not willing just to just remain in this state of mind and I've got to, I've got to find something. So as a, as a young boy, he was interested, and now he realized, what should stop me now from being interested in, in martial arts? And, and he decided to go to his parents and say, do you think there's any way 
that I could dive into martial arts. And just a young 10-year-old boy now that has this grand idea to overcome his, his disability and overcome what some would say would be a, a, a pass to just sit back and relax. He said, no, I want to do something that seems unthinkable. And so he goes to his parents. They said, let's give it a shot. And he goes down to a judo master where he begins to speak to a, a, a sensei was, is what they would call him. And, and, and he speaks and says, do you think I could do this? And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you. I think you could do it. He saw something in the young man. He saw that he had some ability, some spunk about him. And he says, I, I want to do this. And, and so he, he, he signs up. He begins to go um, every day, every other day, whatever the case may have been. And, and, and the judo master begins to see this young man pick up things and learn things quickly. And he began to learn a move. And the young man began to think that maybe there's more, but I'm going to keep on as it is. But he, he began to learn so well. Uh, what was being placed in front of him, his, his instructor was saying, man, he, he's advancing. And so the young man began to see that the next level was competition, and he began to think maybe he could compete, and he was learning so quick, he thought maybe he'd try and give it a shot. So he goes to his, his, his judo master and says, do you think I could possibly compete? And the response was, you, you very well could compete, but you're going to have to learn a move and learn it so well that you can execute it in a moment's notice. Whenever you see that window, you're going to have to know, this is what I fall to. You're going to have to learn this move. And so he goes and, and decides, that's what I'm going to do. And he, he commits to this one move. And, and day in and day out, it's that one move. And he gets into the, to the arena or the, the mat, and he learned that one move and rehearsed it over and over. And, and, and no one would be around. He'd be in his room rehearsing this one move, and he'd be by himself waiting uh, on his family to come out from, from, from inside to go, and he'd be rehearsing the move, and he'd be in front of his judo master while the judo master was getting prepared, and he'd be rehearsing the move, and it was fine in the beginning, but the problem was as he got a little bit bored and began to ask his judo master, why, why just the one move? And the response was, is this is the only move that you'll ever need to know, so he continued with that one move. The competition comes shortly after, and, and he's learned it. He's worked so hard on it, and he's given himself to it, and he's in front of one opponent that he quickly defeats. It was somebody that was not even uh, close to his, 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 his mental uh, fortitude. He was, he was so strong and focused, and so he defeated him. Even lacking a left arm, he defeated him easily. And he goes to the next, which was now kind of the semifinal round, and, and this was a, a little better opponent, and and, and he stood his ground. He, he, was, he was a little bit um, 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 quick, and he was, a, he was scrappy, and, and he decides he's going to stay in, and, and, and the opponent gets frustrated. In a, moment's, uh, in a moment of frustration, he kind of gives in, and he, he makes a mistake, and the young man was able to pin him. And now, now he's into the championship round, and, and now was the moment that people kind of feared, but his master knew something they didn't know when the young man had worked on something that they didn't know and they didn't realize. And, and, and now a stronger, uh, a more skilled opponent was standing in front of him, a taller and, 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 and more able opponent was there. And, 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 and even the ref at one point, the story tells of this young boy in Arizona, this, the ref even thought that maybe I should call this because in the beginning, 
the boy was a little bit startled. He was a little scared, but, but he quickly gained his composure and, 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 and began to think clearly. And, and, and the judo master said, please leave him in right now. Please don't call the fight. And the young man stains his ground. And now, now the more skilled and, and more able opponent begins to get a little frustrated because, because he, he, he thought this would be over by now and this is the championship round. I, I want to have this over and done with. And the young man, in a moment where the, where the opponent now began to rush the young man and began to think that I'm just going to end this, in that moment that young man who had day in and day out had given himself to one move, seeing the opportunity there and doing the one move, giving himself fully to that one move, saw a window, and in that window of time, he executed perfectly that one move and was able to now throw and pin his opponent and win the tournament. Now, everybody was surprised. Everybody was shocked. His parents were applauding. There were, they, the emotions were high, and everyone was excited. This man, who had, this young boy who had lost his left arm, was now a, a judo champion, and he had, he had won this thing. It was unthinkable. The paper's going to write about it. The news cameras were there, and he gets in the car, and he's riding back with his judo master, and he's a little bit puzzled all of a sudden, begins to wonder, how in the world did I do this? What how, I know I've only just started, but I, I've given myself to one move, and I've given myself to one thing, and, and I've lost my left arm, and, and here I am in this, 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 this reality of, of me being victorious, and he asked his judo master, how, how did this happen? I want to know how this happened. The judo master looks at him, and he says, I, I've, got, I've got two reasons why. One, you learn what is known as the most difficult move in all of martial arts. You've learned it. You've mastered it. You worked so hard that you mastered it. And two, the only known defense to that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. That's the only known defense. That's it. For him to grab your left arm. That's the only way they get out of that move. That's the only way. The only way they can get out is for them to reach out and, and grab what wasn't there. To do something that, that, that you think, how, that's the only known defense. And what I've come tonight to preach to you, what I've come this evening to let you know, is there is something that the enemy has no known defense for. There's something in you. Something you and I possess, there's something that we have, whether this is your first time at Truth Chapel or this is your, you've been here for all nine years, there's something you and I possess that you better know that you have the ability to go on the offense with. The Bible tells in 1 Samuel and 30, it speaks about how, how, how David and his men came back and when they came into Ziklag, the Amalekites had come in. And the Bible says in 1 in, in First Samuel 30 and 2, and they had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Let me just stop and tell you right now. They were so upset and so disappointed. They were exhausted. They were tired. They had given themselves 
themselves to the work of the Lord. They had committed themselves to the work of the Lord. They came back in after being victorious. And they walked back into their homeland. And everything was gone. They didn't know it was still alive. They didn't know their families were alive. They just knew that nothing was left. Nothing was there. Nothing in that moment. And the Bible says they wept. They wept and they gave themselves to that moment until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive. And it tells their names and it goes on. It says David was greatly distressed. A moment of discouragement and a moment of fear and a moment of worry uh, begins to overtake David. The people spoke of stoning David. Their leader, their faithful leader, they had followed. They trusted him no matter what. They would follow him no matter where and now. They're speaking of stoning him because they were so moved by the reality of their condition. They were so moved by the struggles of life. They were so moved by the climate of their current life that they could not even think about anything else but dealing with something so oh, so so uh, um, harshly. And they began to speak of stoning David because the Bible says the soul of all the people was grieved. This hurt them to the core. It, 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 it hurt them in the deepest way possible. It bothered them so greatly. It, it, it took them uh, uh, to, the, to the lowest point, every man for his son and his daughters. But the Bible says something right here. It says something that at the end of verse 6, it says, but David encouraged by say himself. David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought uh, the ephod to David. And David, the Bible says, inquired. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this truth? Here's, here's what I've come to let you know. Is the enemy thought that he had David. The enemy said, I'm going to discourage him. I'm going to bring and, and turn the people against him. I'm going to make it so difficult. I'm going to hit them where it hurts the most. I'm going to hit them so much that their soul is vexed. And they think about stoning their own leader. But David had learned years prior to that. When he was by himself on a hillside. When his own father overlooked him. When no one even called him into the house David had learned something he had learned a move that there was no known defense for he had learned something when he was by himself with the sheep and no one even saw or congratulated him for a job well done but he learned something in that moment that when I'm discouraged I go to the rock when I'm down and out I fall on my face and begin to inquire of the Lord when I'm overlooked I say God you see me where I am. When one sheep is gone, I realize you also go and search out the one lost sheep. David said in this moment, I'm not giving up. I'm going to the Lord because the enemy has no known defense for prayer. There's nothing the enemy can do when you and I begin to pray. When we say, God, I'm not giving up. When we say, God, I'm not quitting. When we say, God, this will not be the end of me. David, David said, you think I'm weak. You think I'm losing something. You think I've lost something. You think I ought to give up. You think I ought to throw in the towel. But there's no known defense to prayer. 
I'm telling you, there's no, I don't care how outnumbered you might be, how bad it might seem, how, how lost you might feel, how desperate you might be, how far from home you might be. Now, I don't care what it is. There's no known defense to when a child of God says, I've got nothing but God. I've got nothing but him. And I've got nowhere else to go but to the rock. I've got nowhere else to go but to prayer. And I, I've got nothing else, God. But I'm going to do the one thing I know to do. I'm going to call on your name and pray. I'm going to pray, God. I'm going to begin to say, I know you're able. I know you can. God, what shall I do? What should be done next? Where should I go next? Oh, God, let me help you understand right now. It's throughout, it's throughout the word of God that people had to execute this move. They didn't have, they didn't have, here's the struggle, though. Sometimes we want to say, I want to learn it in the moment. No, no, no. The young boy that we talked about had to get up Monday morning when no one was around and execute it then. The boy got up on Tuesday morning and learned it again. The boy got up Wednesday and did it again. On Saturday afternoon when everybody else was doing what they were doing, he figured it out again. And, and, and he did it again and again and again. Again, he learned the move. The Bible begins to tell us throughout David's life, David fell on his face. We find even where Elisha, the scripture says, walked into, he was, he was in, a, in, a, in a place of, 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 of uncertainty and he walks in. Well, Elisha walks in with a servant and the servant looks up and says, there are too many around us. What are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. I don't see how we can do anything. Look at all the chariots. Look at all the, all the soldiers. And Elisha said, you're not seeing what you should be seeing. You're missing something. And the Bible says, Elisha begin to pray and begin to say God open up my servant's eyes that he might see he begin to execute a move that there's no known defense for and when he opened his eyes he said greater are they that with that's with us than them that were there I see now prayer gives you God's vision for you prayer does it prayer helps you understand Prayer takes you to a place that's deeper. Prayer, prayer is not just simply me fulfilling an obligation in my relationship with God. Prayer is me aligning myself with the will of God. Prayer is me getting myself set up in the purpose of God. Prayer is me saying, God, it was never about me anyways. It was always about you. I'm walking with you. I'm doing the thing I was called to do. Prayer. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's been preached before. I know it's not as fun and it's not exciting. I know, I know. But listen to me, young people. Before you learn anything else, before you get yourself skilled in anything else, before you walk into a classroom, you better figure out right now, I'm going to learn the one move that I've got to know. I'm going to learn the one thing I've got to get in my spirit, that when everything else is bad and the world is turned upside down, I'm going to find a place to say, God, I don't know exactly how this works but I'm gonna pray I don't know exactly what to do but I'm not giving up I don't know where to go next but I'm coming to you God I am going to pray I'm gonna pray I've got to pray I've got to make up in my spirit then I'm gonna pray I can't I can't I can't stop short of that 
You see, the Bible goes on to tell us in, in 1 Samuel 30, it gives us some understanding here. I didn't give him all these texts, but listen to me right now. He says, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue the, after this truth? He's going to God and saying, I, I don't know what I need to do. I'm not too sure. He goes, shall I overtake them? He asked two questions. He asked two questions. He didn't know what to pray, so he just asked questions. He, he, didn't have, he didn't have it down like the elder. So he just found himself beaten up and discouraged and, and, and deciding that I'm not, I'm not letting this be the thing that gets me, God. This won't be the one. This is not going to end my marriage. This is not going to end my home. This is not going to end my career. This is not going to, this won't be the one, God. So shall, what should I do? Should I get up tomorrow and deal with it again? Should I go in right now and, and, and just try my, what should I do, God? He asked two questions. And the amazing thing about prayer is you get more than what you bargained for. The Bible says that he says, should I pursue and should I overtake? And the Bible says he answered him, pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And he goes on one more time because, remember, Remember, David didn't know at this point. David didn't know they were alive. David wasn't aware of what he was even wanting to know. He didn't even understand. All he saw is everything was gone and everything was burned. And notice what the Lord says. The Lord says, without fail, you shall recover. David said, what is that? What would you say? I've only asked if I should pursue and if I'll overtake and, and, and get vengeance on them. No, no, the Lord said, not only should you get up, but you, you, you should go and you're going to overtake them. But also you're getting everything you've lost everything you lost is coming back home with you prayer gives you hope for everything you've lost everything you can't even think of ever having again comes back in prayer and I, I'm hurrying here, but listen now. So David went, he and 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, uh, where, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued a he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. This gives us understanding these people were exhausted. They were tired. Anybody feel tired in the house tonight? 2020 was tough. 2021 is, is kind of kind of crazy. I'm tired. I'm emotionally exhausted. Anybody with me on that? We're tired. We're a little bit weary. The Bible says not everybody made the journey because they had been fighting. They'd been doing all they were doing. They'd be giving themselves fully to everything they were doing. The Bible says, and they found an Egyptian in the field. <laughs> Hear me now. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And gave him bread and he did eat. And they made him drink water. Here's the thing. They found somebody who was left from the raid. In the field. Left for dead. And David never finds this man. If he doesn't first find an altar. He doesn't find him. If he doesn't kneel down first and pray. But he goes, the Bible says, they find him in the field. 
And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of trying to give him his energy back, trying to nourish him, trying to bring him back. And he, the Bible says he had eaten no bread nor drank any water three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And, and where, where, are, where are they? And he said, he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to the Amalekite. My master left me because three days ago I fell sick. Notice what he says. He says in verse 14, we made an invasion upon the south of the Sherathites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah and upon the south of Caleb and we burned Ziglag with fire and David said to him can you bring me to these people can you bring me there can you get me there I'm telling you right now the thing you need to do is get off Facebook and get off the phone and say God I'm going to you to find out what I need to do the devil wants me to go somewhere else but God's calling me to prayer because there's no known defense to prayer. There's none. There's no known defense to it. My father, my father just recovered from COVID. It was a bad situation. People were praying all over the country. I thank God for it. We didn't know what to do. We had no idea what to do. We didn't know, we didn't know where to go. Felt so helpless. Not only can you not do anything about it, but you can't even go in and be with them. It's the most helpless situation. I know some of you maybe have dealt with it here. It's a terrible situation. I, I, my heart goes out to anyone who's lost anyone because of this. It's, it's such a terrible, terrible thing we're dealing with right now. My dad, my dad was, was in the hospital. His oxygen dipped way down. He had a literally taken by a nurse, 170 degree temperature. We didn't even know that was possible. He was fight. He didn't want to go in the hospital. He didn't want to go be by himself. He was scared to death. He, he, he was hardly able to speak. And I, I was coming in from Maryland. He said, Paul, I'd rather die than, than, I'd rather die at home than die in a hospital room by myself. I said, Dad, we need you not to die at all. I need you to get in that hospital. I drove that car back from Maryland, and we were praying the whole way home. We were getting texts of people praying. But my dad got in that place, and he was scared to death. He was, he's, he's pastored for 45 years, but, and, and he's full of faith. But, man, he was just feeling a little bit of fear in his life. And he began to pray. And what he was feeling more than anything else was, was now the discouragement of being by himself. He didn't like the idea of not being able to get up and walk out. He couldn't take it. And I began to pray, and others began to pray, God, give him peace. Peace. Give him peace. Only you know what to do, God. We didn't know how to do it. We couldn't do it on our own. We could go stand outside with a banner and say, Dad, we love you. That's not going to give him peace. But what, what can give him peace? I know what can give him peace. The presence of an almighty God can give him peace. So we begin to pray. We begin to pray and ask God to touch him. He was in there a second day. He began to feel, feel fear just kind of grip him and hold tight to him. He began to say, God, I can't do this. I need you right now to give me peace. And I need you right now to, God, lift me this from this from this feeling of, of being all alone. He began to pray just a prayer of, God, I'm by myself. And I need to know you're near. And I kid you not, my father would tell this way better than me. But, but he called me weeping as his oxygen, oxygen 
vision began to get better. He said, Paul, I'm a different man. He said, in 45 years of pastoring, I've never seen what I saw a few days ago. He said, I began to pray, and I, I, I went to sleep, and I woke up, and I, when I looked up, there was a man standing here and a woman sitting in that chair in front of me. I, I'm not making this up, nor would my father ever make this up. This is actually only the second time in my life my father's ever talked about seeing angels. But he said, I looked up, and I saw a man there just kind of standing above me, and I saw a woman with the sweetest smile sitting in front of me, and then I saw someone walking about the door, and he said, I begin to realize that I've got angels encamped about me, that I've got angels with me in this room. And he said, the greatest peace I've ever felt came upon me. It's not something we could do on our own. It's not something we could find on our own. But we, we, when we begin to pray, the devil thought he could discourage my father. He thought he could try to tear down his hope and his understanding of what God is. But when the church began to execute the move the enemy has no known defense for, he can't stop a child of God who prays. To top it all off, I don't know her whole, whole name. I could look it up on my text right now. Forgive me for not having it. I wasn't intending on telling the story, but, but that next day, a sweet, a sweet nurse walks in. She walks in, and my father, there's no one in this world that's ever met my father, walks away not thinking he's friendly. He's the most friendly. He's, 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 he's almost awkwardly friendly sometimes. But he's like, hey, isn't that nice to meet He's going to know your middle name, your aunt's name. He's going to give you 10 bucks, and you guys are going to get a Christmas card. That's my dad. But this lady walks in, and he says, are you my nurse today? And she said, yes, sir, I am. Uh, and they were calling him Pastor Price in the hospital. And he said, well, what's your name? She said, my name's Mia. My name is Mia. And he said, my niece's name is Mia. I mean, I'm sorry, my granddaughter's name is Mia. And she said, really? He said, is that your whole name? Is it Amelia? What is it? She said, no, actually, and she, she spoke her name, and she was Samoan, he, she said. She said, I'm Samoan, and here's my whole name, and the last part was Mia. And, 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 and Mia was for short. It was easier for people to pronounce and, and say and, and, and remember. And he said, can I ask you, what does that mean? No, don't forget, my dad was feeling lonely. He had just experienced the seeing and understanding that angels were with him, and he was feeling that. But now he had peace about it. But yet he was still just, just seeking God. And she said, I'll definitely, she said, actually, my name is this and here's what it means my name means I am surrounded a dad who's not very emotional looked at me or, or told me on the phone he said Paul I made a fool of myself he said I wept and she said why are you weeping he said you are an answer to prayer I was praying God send me something and he said I saw angels last night and God just sent you to my room to tell me that I am surrounded I'm telling you I gotta pray. I gotta pray. You have that slide for me right now. It's our second slide. I'm gonna read it from there. I want you to hear me right now. This isn't all it does. There we go. I want you to see this right now. Prayer does amazing things. Consistent prayer releases the power of God's blessing on your life in circumstances. Let me tell you right now. Consistent prayer is the player on the bench. That you know if they get in, they're going to take over the game. 
but you've not prayed enough to get them in the game. You've not, you've not allowed them out of the stable to overtake the trial you're in. The reason why you're not winning right now is only because you're not praying right now. And when you begin to pray, you open the gate and you say, go have at it. And angels become, or angels begin to fight for you. And prayer also, prayer allows you to place your trial in God's hands. When you pray, you say, God, the victory was yours and the trial is yours. I'm putting this in your hands. I'm giving this to you. I'm going a little farther. I'm hurrying, I promise you. But prayer, prayer will, will result in God's power to bring about the change that you're longing for. Why is that? Because prayer takes away from you what you don't need anyways. Prayer breaks down your pride. Prayer breaks down your agenda. Prayer breaks down all of your ideas and your future and everything you set up. And prayer says, I'm going to align myself. I know I mentioned it, but I'm going to align myself with what you have for my life, God. I'm going to get on your itinerary. I'm going to take off on your plane. I'm ready to go on the ride that you set up for me, God. I'm, I'm going to now fall into your will for me. And lastly, prayer opens your eyes to see what God sees. Maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe my trial is God allowing me to go through something to get me on the other side where I'm stronger and I'm better and I'm able. But I don't see these things unless I open the door with the key that is prayer. Physicians, you can come tonight, but I, I want you to hear me right now. I, I'm asking your mom who's tired, you've worked all day long, your, kid, your kids might right now be far from God. And, and, and you walked into this place tonight and you've done what you do over and over. And you, you walked into the truth chapel and you worship with these great young people, these amazing young people tonight. And you walked in and you said, God, I'm asking you one more time, God, would you touch my kids? And the devil, when you begin to pray that prayer, you've executed over and over. The devil began to shake because he thought maybe today was the day he could discourage you. Today was the day maybe you'd stop praying the prayer. And I've asked you, don't stop praying the prayer. Don't give up on the prayer. Don't give up on it because there's nothing stronger than a child of God who does not understand how yet, but is willing to go ahead and say, God, I trust you for this. I trust you for it. I know you're able, God. There's nothing more amazing than walking into the house of the Lord and, and, and someone who's gone through a valley, someone who's gone through an experience, someone who's gone through a trial that's willing to fall on their face and say, God, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to stop, God. I don't, just, I don't just worship you and praise you when things are good. God, I'm going to be consistent in this. I'm going to, I'm going to seek you out, God. In Jesus' name. I'm going to pray. I'll share one last story in closing here in a moment. My son Indy was here in December. I don't think I told this story. Indy's had some respiratory problems way before COVID. He was about four months old, and we had to put him in the hospital. They spent weeks and weeks in the hospital. We'd get him out, and he'd go back to the hospital. 
to come back and go to the hospital. My wife would spend much time in the hospital with me. We had no idea what was going on. The doctors couldn't tell us anything. They would, they would give us generic terms for what he had. There was no idea what was going on. Finally, about two years old, I was at work. My wife called and said, babe, you better come. I'm at the doctor. And I knew she was there doing some, <clears throat> some tests. I rarely ever miss those things, but I, I couldn't be there that day. I had to be at work. She said, you better come. I said, what's going on? I could tell in her voice something was wrong. She said, I'll tell you when you get here. I said, babe, I need to know right now what's going on. She said, I, she broke down. She said, babe, they're testing me for this, this, and this. They said leukemia. They said they're testing our two-year-old baby for leukemia. I said, babe, you hold him tight. I'll be right there. And I, I, I ran to my car. I drove 30 minutes as fast as I could to the doctor's office. And I walked in that room. And I grabbed him and held him. And I began to weep. I didn't want him to see me. But I began to weep and said, God, I'm asking you, man, you touch my baby, please. Every result they had back that day, through all of all of the charts showed that there's something wrong. There's something going on with his blood. There's something there. And this is this is very well what we what we've been missing. We've got we've got to look at this. And they said we're gonna get these results back, but we're so busy it probably won't be till Monday. And this was a this was a Thursday night. I mean it's a Thursday morning. We said, is there any way you can get faster results? They said, we are so backed up, we're sorry. And I, I, I called and said, I'm not coming back to work. And my wife, after the test, she was, she, or my in-laws were there, and she was going to go uh, to, to just try to try to make the best of the day with them. And I said, babe, just go. I'm going to go to the church. And I went to the church. And, and in the front altar area, there's a little place, these carpet tiles I'd walk up and down. And I just, be, I got in there, and I, I, I began to pray, God, I'm asking you to touch you, Jesus. I was so broken. I was so, so tired. We had fought so much over and over. We had gone through some stuff in our church. And now my family, and I found myself praying. And I found myself just kind of going through the motions. You know, sometimes where, God, if you can just touch him. And I realized that I, I've got power in me. I've got something there that, that you also possess. And I began to say, God, I, I'm not going to pray a defensive prayer anymore. I, and I begin to say, devil, I, I know you're watching me now. And I've come to tell you that you're not going to disrupt what God's doing in my boy's life. You're not going to stop him. You're not going to disrupt my family. I, I'm canceling what you've come to do. In Jesus' name, I, I defeat your agenda. In Jesus' name, I speak against whatever it is you've desired to do. Actually, take your hands off my boy. Take your hands off my family. Take your hands off my wife. Take your hands off. I'm not defeated by discouragement, and I'm not defeated by, this, by, by, by fear. I believe right now that he will be healed. I begin to pray. If someone would have walked in that day, they would have thought I was in the biggest fight of my life because I was. I was in the biggest fight of my life. And I figured out in that moment, there's, there's something the devil hates that we do. It's that when we go ahead and pray, when we pray for when we go to him first. There's a lot of things that sound like a good idea, but, but have you gone to him yet? A lot of things that seem like they'd be, but have you gone to him yet? The devil thinks, you know what, I might cannot get him with discouragement, and maybe I can get him with this. Have you gone to him yet? So I went to him. I kid you not, about two hours later, I get in my car, and I'm driving on the road, my phone rings, and 
I answered the phone. I didn't rec- never recognize the number. And I'm, I'm, I'm done in two minutes. I went a little, lo- little long. I'm sorry. But, but I answered the phone, and they said, is this Indy Price's father? And I said, yes, it is. And I, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of got that ugly crowd going on. You know, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kid that, you know, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, is that bad? Is that, I mean, I'm talking about, that was, um, that's that bad. I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm, 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 I've dealt with it. I've gone through it. Are you okay, Mr.? Yes, I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, who is this? Well, this is the doctor's office. Yeah, what is it? I was so puzzled because I was waiting until Monday. I was thinking, I'm going to have to go through Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to have to preach on Sunday with this looming over my head. And so we've called. We, we were able to rush your results. We, we just bumped. We were so concerned about you. We wanted to bump those results. We got them as fast as we could. And she said, we've called with some news. And I braced myself. I couldn't get Tara on the phone. So I just said, go ahead. What is it? And she said, we've called to let you know. I said, hang on. Is this about the test we did for leukemia? Because we've done a lot of tests. They said, yes, Mr. Price. I'm calling with the results. I said, I'm ready. I just want to let you know that his blood work has never looked better. Never looked better. I'm telling you, this this happened to me. And I, now I, I'm, I'm a little slower than slow sometimes. So I said, now you're telling me the blood work from the day that we took today. When I left work, you told me leukemia possibly. And you're telling me today, two and a half hours, you're telling, she said, Mr. Price, I'm telling you. And I said, how does this happen? How do we find out? At, at 10.30 a.m. That, that we're, we're looking for this and now, now we get these results. She said, to be honest with you, the last 30 minutes, we've been asking ourselves the same thing. We've been trying to figure out the same thing. And to be honest with you, we have no answer. All we know is the results show that he's perfectly fine, he's healthy, and we look forward to seeing y'all later on. I said, I know exactly. The devil's got no known defense for prayer no known defense he can't stop you he can't stop you if you pray I'm asking right now we're about to sing. I, I, I don't know exactly what we're doing, but if you if you feel okay doing this, I wish you'd step out from where you are right now. If you feel I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.